The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. Open, open, your, 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 my, my, my. And we're back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late, but we have... We have a, a really, at least a show I've been looking forward to for a very long time. Genevieve, how are you doing over there? I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm really excited for this. Um, mentally, you know, preparing, prepping. <laughs> it's it's that, always that, a heavy topic. So I, I'm not going to say it's going to be fun, but it's going to be incredibly interesting. That That is definitely blog. not an understatement. Yeah, being mentally prepared. Tonight's guest is uh, Elisa E., she was our guest back in 2015, and I was I was actually looking at the date, and uh, just to get it right, uh, she was our guest back in November 22nd, 2015. Mm-hmm. And ever since we posted the interview, it resonated with a lot of people. We've read some comments that people have left on the interview, and uh, tonight, if you're not familiar with her story, get ready, because it, it, it'll blow your socks off, in my opinion. Yeah, and if you are listening to the podcast at a later date, you do have the opportunity right now to hit pause, head over to our website, um, wotrradio.com, and um, just check out the past show. It'll be the intro to this one because we will mainly be focusing on book two of the two books this time around. Correct. And honestly, without further ado, I just want to get Elisa on the line. So we can start talking about this uh, whole idea of mind control and just what exactly is going on. So uh, let's see if we can get her on the line. Elisa, can you hear us okay? I can. Good evening, Frank and Genevieve. Thanks for having me back. No, no, no. Thank you for taking the time to be with us tonight. Like I said at the uh, just now in the beginning, your story is very gripping and people are just really captivated by this. I want to start out by asking... Ever since you began this process of uh, deprogramming, how do you deal with this? Uh, is there people that you can talk to that help you throughout this? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I was very fortunate. Um, you know, early on when I started what I call deep deprogramming um, at 46, <clears throat> um, I met two gentlemen and they were very familiar and had worked with um, other people like me. So I was very fortunate. I had uh, one of them stayed with me um, long distance. I stayed with me uh, for the first several years. <clears throat> and that was extremely helpful. Um, I think that was absolutely necessary for me. As far as support groups go, unfortunately in this, uh, I'm not saying they don't exist, um, but it's it's a tricky slippery slope uh, because of depending on how you were used or by whom and programmed by whom, oftentimes they send people in, which they did in my case as well as many other victims that I've heard from now. Mm-hmm. So it's really tricky uh, trying to find safe 
support early on. It can be found if you stick with it, um, but it, it for me it was really, um, aside from this one person and, and a couple of friends who I talked to, uh, it was pretty much on my own. I can't even imagine, to be honest, what it takes to come out of the experiences that you went through. Before we move on any further, I have a few questions that for people that perhaps have heard our first interview, this might sound like somewhat of a review, but uh, I know that there will be people listening that are not 100% familiar with what we will be talking about tonight. For example, let's start with this. TMK, which is something that we see in your book a lot, total mind control slave in this case is applied in that sense. What is a total mind control slave? And with the word total in it, does that mean that there is maybe a partial mind control slave? Yeah, actually, I would I would have to say yes. I don't know that that's a formal term, but absolutely. There's, um, well, it started out, I think, started out in the modern day or modern age with a, a program called MKUltra. And any listeners who aren't familiar, that would be a great search for you to start there to find that there is actual documentation for a lot of this. But a lot of it is very undocumented and very still very covert. It was claimed to have halted um, government, military intelligence, uh, mental health community uh, was involved, and they claimed they halted it, but it did not. It just morphed into a variety of other programs that are ongoing. Um, many of which in the modern age, um, and even back when I was um, under mind control, involves <clears throat> remote accessing and programming. So I was born in the 60s, uh, and I was born into this, basically. We'll just kind of throw it, throw it out there like that, and those that want the details on that can, can go to the books. And I was programmed and groomed through trauma-based mind control right from the beginning um, and used for decades until I began to um, have what I call bleed-through in, in, in my programming, uh, meaning what they did was through trauma-based mind control, they created multiple personality disorder or what they call DID nowadays, <clears throat> which is dissociative identity disorder, um, and they create alternate personalities that are separated within the mind <clears throat> by amnesic barriers so that when a, an alternate personality takes control of the bodies, and this is a, a very uh, very well-documented um, condition and uh, an, what I call an esoteric science <clears throat> done by the covert version, um, when one alter alternate personality or alter takes the body, um, the other parts of the body or the mind, I should say, uh, have no memory of that. So you lose a lot of time. You can, in my case, be used, programmed and used to go out and perform tasks for your, your controllers um, and have no memory of it but have just have missing time and so forth. So that kind of gives a background. Could I just go back on that and develop on your question a little more. Um, specifically, could you just maybe briefly explain the full term high-level bloodline ritually abused trauma-based total mind control slave? Um, that in full is used quite frequently in, in the books. And mm -hmm. 
you know, just breaking it down high level and bloodline, these individual terms, what do they imply? Okay. Well, high level uh, meant and means, in, in my version, uh, based, I call it high level based on the people and groups and agencies and institutions and corporations and um, hierarchy of various religious organizations and so forth who had access to my programming and or um, my on-task use, which would be the the years of <clears throat> after being programmed, you know, going out and working for for these these um, corporations, organizations, institutions. So that's where the high level comes in. As far as bloodline, um, what I'm referring to, a, a better term probably would have been multi-generational use, meaning that um, the multiplicity uh, and often the trauma-based mind control is passed generationally through the family line. <clears throat> and then the satanic ritual abuse is there was actual occult rituals involved in the traumatization and programming aspect, as well as the use. Um, believe it or not, there are actually high-level groups that utilize individuals like myself, and there are many of us, by the way. And then total mind control slave meant that um, for the period of time until I began to wake up, I was under extreme um, programming and continued uh, handling so that and reinforcement so that I wouldn't have the opportunity to awaken and attempt to get out. It's crazy, but yeah, it's, no, it, it, that's a good overview for people. Listening. No, it's really yeah. heavy stuff. I mean, I, I I hope I'm not you know uh, trivializing it in any way by my reaction, but no, it's, it's it really blows my mind. Um, Elisa, I wanted to ask you. You say you were born in the '60s, and the '60s was. A very interesting time. That was the psychedelic revolution. And I've, I've read different things. To your knowledge, was there a CIA involvement in this psychedelic revolution? A lot of people said that a lot of mind control tests were going on at that time. Well, of course, I was born in the 60s, so I wasn't really of an adult consciousness when that was going on. In hindsight, um, with subsequent research years after I you know, began my own deep programming. My understanding is that, yes, there was, um, I have a friend, a couple of friends who were, um, you know, of the age to be involved in, in kind of that uh, genuine revolution uh, that it began as. Um, my understanding is that there was a genuine, um, a genuine revolution, social revolution beginning, but that the intelligence agencies basically kind of swooped in and uh, took it over and created something very different, like the, you know, trivializing it to the flower power movement. Um, and they did a lot of that through the music of the time. Um, there's some amazing people out there who, would, uh, what is it? Um, McGowan. Yeah, David, David McGowan. Yeah. Oh, incredible book um, that he wrote uh, about Laurel Canyon. Yeah. Forget the, the title, forgive me. But It was uh, Weird um, Scenes Inside the Canyon, I believe. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I do believe that. And I believe that that happened 
based on the information that he and many others have supplied, but I've seen that continue in what I refer to as the New Age movement. Um, and you got to remember that within any movement, there has to be a tremendous amount of truth and value. It's just that with PSYOPs, they can come in, infiltrate, and take it down a slightly different course. So that rather than like the 60s and then later the New Age movement that I call it, what happens is you wind up with not empowerment, but you actually are disempowered. Um, and you follow, you know, you're following a movement, but there's really no genuine change in power on an individual basis or in mass. And could you perhaps tell us a little about how to this day, um, I guess the, the upper powers that be continue to manage to trivialize situations like yours, for instance, through film and music? Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, you have to look at, like, kind of backtrack and see it kind of rolling forward. There's been a momentum of power for them, um, successes in various places. They've had failures, too, but the thing to keep in mind with the way I understand it from, from what I, I know from, really, from my alters is that there's never one thing happening at any given time. So if they have an agenda and they have a goal to reach that goal, you'll be you can be sure that there's probably a dozen, if not more, angles that they're coming at that goal. So in other words, if if one thing fizzles out or doesn't pan out, they've got eleven others attempting to work that goal. So over time, they've whoever they are, which I have my own ideas. Um, based on, again, subsequent research, they uh, have built up and infiltrated various groups like government, military, all branches, intelligence, all branches, all agencies, uh, religious organizations, corporate, the uh, biotechnology field, cognitive technology fields, uh, mental health field, big time, a lot of the social organizations and agencies. Um, so with moving forward with this, they've infiltrated and successfully gained certain positions within all of these, including yeah. the media and Hollywood um, and the music industry, which Hollywood and the music industry are you know, so closely related. Correct. So it's not a problem for them to, um, you know, bring a project in, bring it three layers down so you don't know who actually created the project, but you go through several fronts until it reaches the producer and director or, uh, you know, the music producer, and then it winds down to the actors and or the singers and, and songwriters. Elisa, when we talk about music and movies and those mediums being used for uh, programming and triggering the music makers, the filmmakers, do they knowingly make this material with this purpose in mind? Or is um, it the people yeah. financing these projects? Basically, who is behind the, the uh, stuff? At what point do you reach the end? Yeah. 
I would have to say this is not an either-or situation. It's an and-both situation, meaning that many, in my opinion, most people who work for the powers that be don't know they work for the powers that be. It's an unwitting relationship. It's not something they fully understand due to, and I know we've overworked this term, but it's valid, it's compartmentalization. And that's the purpose of fronts and funding through various organizations and um, philanthropic organizations that are very nebulous. Nobody really knows where things are coming from in most cases. But as far as certain, I can't speak for the music industry, um, but I'm sure it applies. But as far as the, you know, the film industry, I'm absolutely certain that there are certain very high-level producers and directors and so forth that are extremely witting, that are, um, you know, going to some of the um, backroom meetings. Um, so, but in many cases, you know, the funding comes in. Who knows? who's behind that. Um, but it's clear to me, absolutely clear to me, and has been for a long time, that both the music industry and the entertainment field is, is extremely compromised. And there are many, many um, mind-controlled slaves working in that industry. And it is being used as not so much, I suppose, I guess you could say programming in mass, but severe conditioning, uh, which mm -hmm. is goes hand in hand with programming. You know, there's conditioning and there's programming, um, and the conditioning of society, uh, the entertainment industry is is heavily used right from the get go. Uh, Disney is still <laughs> notorious. Um, they start at, start out when they're young. I find that really. Um, interesting and, and frightening at the same time. You know, especially when you see YouTube videos and various, you know, different things online pop up nowadays, literally showing you uh, compilations and collages of different celebrities, people that most people know, famous people that seem to be breaking down or showing, exhibiting some traits of being mind controlled and it shows you that it's probably far more widespread than most people realize. Well, and we are in what, um, what's his name? Um, Hoffman. Um, he wrote about the revelation of method years ago, decades ago. And we are in the what's called the age of revelation of method. And what that means is that at this point in time, they're feeling so secure that they're telling us flat out what's going on. Because what happens, there's a guy named Bernays, I forget his first name as well, but he was around, you know, many decades ago, and he was a pioneer in uh, societal conditioning, okay? He was, a, he was an advertising man, and, but he took it to the extreme. And his ideas are what really this whole PSYOP has been about over society, Western culture, United States, and it goes outside, of course, the United States, but within the States, it has been a long, decades-long, even longer, uh, um, PSYOP. And what we're talking about at this time is they're able to allow so much of it to come out because 
society has been so conditioned to um, no revolution. Um, it, it hurts eyes and ears and hearts, but nothing changes. Nobody, you know, really breaks out into the streets and in such, a, a, you know, an absolute, this is not allowed. Instead, we just, we take it in, we're hurt, we may talk about it, but we go on. We go on with our lives. And that is what, in Hoffman's view, the age of revelation of method, that's what's happening now, is that they're very secure in what they think they've accomplished. Right. It's almost like they're, they're paraded in front of the, yeah. the public in that way. How would I know somebody is under mind control? Can you even tell? Well, in, in some instances, yes. And of course, um, for myself, it's different. It's, it's difficult to relay how, how, what I see and how, how I see it and experience it. And part of it is it's a, it's a takes one to know one in many cases. That's not always true. Um, but a lot of the things I might recognize, perhaps someone else wouldn't because they don't have the, simply because they don't have the context or the understanding of it. Um, there, there are, uh, you know, physical signs at times. Um, in other words, there's a list of symptoms. You could list a bunch of symptoms, but those symptoms aren't absolute, meaning there could be, you know, there could be some other explanations. If you've got a list of 20 and a person has three or four, perhaps there's something else going on, perhaps not. Um, but, um, the eyes tell a lot, um, the way, uh, the way a person, you really kind of have to spend a little time. I think most people have to spend a little time with someone, uh, before they're going to know, but you have to understand that <clears throat> the altars, uh, like my front, frontline system was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, um, all those years, I mean, I, I worked and had a, a so-called normal life parallel to the other life. I could run pretty much, you know, 22 of 24 hours a day. Um, and my front personality and my normal, so-called normal life, um, I received promotions. I was an adored employee. Um, you know, they always wanted to put me out front if I started out in the back. Um, it's, I was intelligent, I did well in school, um, but I had this whole other life going on. And so I can really only speak to, you know, my particular type of programming and the other victims that I've met that, you know, were used at, at similar levels. And it's really, really difficult to tell unless you educate yourself. And so what I would say to that is <clears throat> there are, um, there's one, um, one site, the woman, actually a therapist out of San Diego, um, what is her name? Her site is called endritualabuse.either.com or .org. And I often send people there because she's pretty balanced and uh, she ha does have a list of, of possible symptoms, meaning that if you check everything off, you've probably got something going on there. And I would send people to something like that because my gauge would be different um, based on where I come from. I can walk into a room sometimes and not even engage someone and, and sense that, 
you know, I'm I'm in the room with someone else of like mm-hmm. like situation. I understand. I hope that helps. No, I, I, I totally follow you on that. And the reason I'm asking is because, well, I'm not trying to be funny, but we're bombarded every day, every day with mm-hmm. music, movies, TV shows. And look, I'm not telling people don't ever watch your favorite TV show, but the truth of the matter is we are um, constantly being hit with all these, all this information through, through yeah. all these different mediums. And again, I'm not trying to be funny, but I've asked myself, it's like, how do I know that I'm not being mind controlled or programmed to some extent? Well, let me clarify a little bit too. There's conditioning and there's programming. And programming is literally like writing a program like on a computer. Okay. Okay. So someone that's programmed, really intensely programmed, is literally going to be in a situation where... You know, you've got some, you've got people there and they're creating the dissociated parts and they're calling up the parts and they're setting in a program. Okay, so that's really the program. Um, the conditioning is extreme in this society. And it's not, um, it's not something that should be viewed as, um, uh, you know, not harmful. Extreme conditioning is how they have taken us to the place of showing us 24 hours a day what they're doing and we're not doing anything. I mean, right. you know, we're doing, you and I and Genevieve are doing what we're doing, but on a, on a massive scale, mainstream media outlets and where we get our news is not doing anything. As a matter yeah. of fact, it's right. blocked. So to me, that's the result of a PSYOP that involves extreme conditioning. Now, I want to take it a step further in that in this day and age, the morphing of the mind control techniques, okay, there's trauma-based mind control that I went through, but because of, for whatever reason, midway through my heavy use years, it became clear from my memories that I was also not only being handled physically, but I was receiving remote programming and handling. Um, in other words, the technology had advanced, and there's some other things that occurred, as you know, if you read book two. Um, so the, the technology is constantly advancing, and at this point, what at one time back in the 50s and 60s, you could say that roughly a decade would pass before, you know, it was really a whole new what I call model, like there's certain models of mind control slaves. And nowadays, it's a matter of months. Wow. So the technology is advancing where it's less than a year, where the, a, new, a new technological advancement in mind control is being introduced either to the public at large and or, I know from, from personal experience, what I call below ground or in the black project. So your question is very valid in that it used to be solely, I think, pretty much a matter of conditioning, extreme conditioning, and it has morphed into with our new technology that is in the home, that is in our pocket, that is everywhere around us, that we're living in a plasma ionized atmosphere due to military weaponry that has advanced uh, chemtrails and so forth, that really what we are dealing with now is when you sit down at your plasma 
computer screen or your plasma smartphone, you are being programmed. In other words, we're not just talking about content anymore, which I want to talk a little bit about why there's so much content other than just the revelation of method, but we're actually talking about frequencies and signals that we don't know, most people don't even know are coming through on their plasma screen and their smartphone and their smart everything, that <laughs> as well as coming through what is literally, the what is it, the fourth state of matter, the plasma ion. Um, atmosphere. We are now an ionized, basically an antenna atmosphere. So as you said, we are being bombarded not only with content, we are being bombarded with signals and frequencies. And what I would ask is think about what they're attaching to the frequencies they're sending to you. It's incredible to think that there are a lot of people out there, including, you know, people I know personally even amongst my close family that are still living in a very conservative age mentally where something like that just seems so freakish, so weird and out there to them that they think it's impossible. But if you think about it, there are people coming forwards nowadays that say something as simple as Wi-Fi is giving them migraines and it has been confirmed that that is essentially a, a true type of disease like or a condition. a condition that affects yeah. people. It's not a fake condition just because you can't see the waves. Some people genuinely just cannot be around Wi-Fi because it affects them. And if it's something as trivial as that can physiologically affect a human being, it seems silly not to believe that different messages passed along these frequencies could affect a human being physiologically. Correct. That's exactly the case. And the interesting thing is, this is documented extensively. There are people who have devoted their lives to documenting it, writing about it. I can give you a name of a really good book. It'll be a, a, a three-part, three parts, three different books. Um, the second one will be out, I think, sometime this year, and the third one is in the process of being written. Um, and Back to what we were talking about earlier about this progression of this infiltration of these various uh, societies within our society, as in the mental health field, the media, um, the science field, big time. Um, so what's happening is on a mainstream level, this is being blocked. If, if someone really steps up, uh, say, a physicist or, um, you know, a doctor, a PhD steps up and start, starts talking about what's really going on. If they gain any real position in what I call mainstream media, um, as long as they're held down to an alternative that isn't being reaching too many people, um, this may not happen. But once they step into the mainstream, if, say, they already have a name for themselves and they discover that this is going on, they're immediately blocked. They're blacklisted. Um, and I mean, this has happened repeatedly time and time again in all the different fields, whether it be science or, you know, the, the physical health field or the mental health field. Um, and so they have to create these subversive networks um, that, you know, they can reach out to others and, and online and, and so forth. 
but it won't reach that mainstream level. So a lot of this is still, the information's out there, but, you know, the Internet's fantastic for, for us to educate ourselves. However, if you have someone who doesn't know what to put in a search engine, they're never going to see it. So unless you have the key phrases um, and you have some idea of what's going on, you're, you can go online all day long and you're going to get just mainstream news. I'm sure people at home are probably listening to this and just being blown away by it because I, I really am. It reminded me, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you know the year that it happened, but I think it was in the first half of the 2000s. There was that big push to get everyone to switch to digital antenna and everybody yeah. had to get this digital box. And even back then, I remember reading a little bit about, you know, some of the, the, uh, the conspiracies as to why this could be happening. But, you know, when you put it in that context, it makes, it makes sense. You know, at the time, I think that the reasoning they gave was that they wanted to, um, kind of free up the analog signals for, you know, like military use and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, nowadays we all got smartphones and you don't need to put a microchip in people because believe me, I, 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 I'm guilty of this myself. You know, we carry our phones everywhere and we're, if we don't have our phones, we feel naked without it. So it's almost like that is a form of conditioning in a way, correct? Absolutely. And it's been a long drawn out process. I mean, I, I was, I remember if you can imagine, I mean, there's, Young people look at me like I'm nuts. I remember living in a household that had a phone on the wall, and we didn't have an answering machine. You called, and if someone was home, they picked up or not. And if you didn't get them, then it might take you a few days to find somebody. It's unthinkable now. Unthinkable. So everybody's tracked. Every purchase, every desire, everything you look at online, everything you search on your phone, every movie you watch, Every article you read online, uh, your 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 health, your medications, your your preferences, everything is being digitally stored. Every email you send, every site you go to, it is being recorded and stored. Everything. There's nothing about us that, if someone wants to know, in that military, industrial, corporate region that they can't know. And to me, the, even the idea that someone writes a story, do you remember when you would write a story? And of course, if it's still a very highly public story, like if someone writes a book about a very public event, then if a movie's going to be made, they have to purchase it, right, to make things look normal. But nowadays, they can go directly into the mine and take the information. Nobody gets paid anymore. It's, it's free access. There are agencies and there are corporations that do this. This is what they do. They get information for people right from the people. So, I mean, there's a whole nother world that exists outside of what we think of as what used to be. It is no more. We are a digital world. Analog is gone. I believe Except for those few of us who, who refuse to own smartphones or <laughs> anything, you know. 
there's some people I know, and, and that's just the way we're going to be. And I, I think I'm one of the one of the ones that is trying to hold on to the analog for as long as I'm around, anyway, and just to kind of keep some history of that's disappearing. And I just wanted to go back to the chat. We do have an interesting question that popped up um, towards the beginning of this hour um, from Professor Madness in the chat. He was asking, uh, was it remote viewing? Was that mentioned at any point at the beginning? Is that a, a skill that you or perhaps other mind control slaves have? Um, I, I don't have any memory of being formally trained in remote viewing. Um there are some things that abilities and skills I had as well as um, in even in deep programming that were seemed random. Um, in other words, kind of like I wasn't doing it in deep programming, but um, I call them windows that would open up. Um, they could often be of this time in a different location or they could even be crossing. It appeared they were crossing dimensionally. Mm-hmm. So, to answer that question, I would say that the remote viewing that the military was uh, very involved in researching was definitely a big part of mind control. Um, and I would have even concerns about um, approaching that in the public sector at this point. I would put a warning out. Um, I know a lot of uh, a lot of companies have started up and offer these services and teach people and take them in and show them how to do it and all that. Yeah. Um, I would I would put a red flag on that, um, but it is a byproduct of a lot of what happened to me and a lot of what happened to a lot of other victims I've talked to. There seems to be kind of this um, these other senses that work based, in my opinion, in my case, it, it was a result of some of the trauma-based mind control. It was part of it was intentional to give those extra senses, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you even answered the uh, sub question, which was whether skills such as that are confined, I guess, to Earth or our th- three dimensional realm as we know it, or go beyond that, you know, into the universe, into other dimensions. Well, it, you know, um, I can vouch for that there are clearly, definitely other other dimensions. I don't know if we're dealing with interdimension or intradimension, probably both, meaning, you know, right here, there are other dimensions residing with us. I'm absolutely certain of that. Um, and then interdimensions that probably reach, reach beyond that um, and beyond our, what I would call, realm of, of the Earth realm. Okay. Um, but yes, a lot of that were, um, I guess I would classify them. They don't use the term high level, but I would classify them as that, meaning there was a, right from the start, a very concerted, you know, a variety of agencies and so forth. And it was a lifelong process. And they were obviously coming from uh, family lines that, you know, that's why there was involvement. Um, a lot of the people that I've interacted with, as well as other stories that I've read and heard about, yes, those excuse me, those abilities um, are a byproduct of the trauma-based mind control. And even, as I said, I believe they're intentional. I know they were in my case to create certain alters who could read a lot of what was going on. Um, and a lot of those uh, 
those abilities traveled into right up into present day. Not all of them. Um, some of them require being under what I call full programming still. But some of them are being experienced still. So, yeah, I hope that answers, answers that question. Yeah, absolutely. And while we're on the topic of abilities, um, I, I kind of want to use a recent movie that was um, released as a reference. I haven't seen it myself, but it's called Split with James McAvoy as uh, the lead character. And in it, you know, it, it's an example of a person with um, dissociative uh, identity disorder or multiple person. sorry, yeah, multiple personality disorder as it was known in the day, in the days. And um, it gives us a really interesting example of a person who has completely different characteristics. I mean, to the extent that even the physiological characteristics are different between the various alters. Mm -hmm. For instance, one alter could even have diabetes or be blind while the others do not. How might something like that occur or what does that feel like, you know, from someone who's experienced right. something like that? Well, I think part of the context needed to understand how that really could be and that it's real is that kind of going into a little bit of what we were talking about, uh, about dimensions even, that our science as we understand it in what I call the above ground, what I call the world of man, which I use over and over in the book, which is the everyday consciousness world, the world we all live in and work in and play in and love in. In that, our science is wrong. <laughs> okay? It's mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. It, it has been so distorted and intentionally so. The wow. below ground science, the black project science, the um, is a completely different monster, okay? It is, it understands a whole different physics. Um, it understands that um, right here, we've got all these other dimensions at play. We've got uh, beings coming in and out. We've got whatever. It understands all that. So when we talk about alters, when we talk about um, the, as I call it, the esoteric science. So we've got the spiritual aspect combined with hardcore technology and science. It's not one or the other. And I will devoutly claim that. I don't care who says what. That full, total mind control programming is a science, but without the spiritual aspect, it would never take and hold. Okay, so you've got these two elements. So you have to really use your spiritual sense, our, our what I call God-given spiritual sense. Even if you're not a, I'm not talking religion. I'm just talking. There's obviously something going on um, that's that's very spiritual, and you mix that with your um, with your your brain power, so that you get a spiritual or a spiritual intelligence is what I would call it. That's what they know. So when you're creating the altars, you're using a very specific uh, scientific method that has been developed over a very long period of time. And I'm talking about in our modern age. 
mind control is not new. It goes back to many of the human civilizations. But in this age, this is what it looks like. And they're combining that with entities crossing dimensions. And there are as many varieties and uh, levels of power in that as there are, you know, anything you can imagine. There's a hierarchy there. There's different species. There's different races. There's some that are just parasites, others that are, you know, extremely intelligent and have character and personality and abilities. So it's a really broad range. And with the programming, I didn't see the movie, by the way. Um, I don't think I will be seeing that movie. I was told about it. I think it'd be a little bit much. But my understanding from my own experience is that I have claimed that there are even physical appearance differences when an altar switches in some cases, not always. So in other words, if you, if you build a frontline altar system that you want to hide what's going on, like in my case, when I switch around in the front, there's no variation. But when a full-blown total mind control slave is under full programming, in other words, they're not waking up, they're fully under so you've got the, the entities and the programming is fully intact. You can see, and I've had it happen. I had a witness tell me my eyes color changed. Um, I've, I've seen where you can see energy shifts and even sometimes facial structure. It looks as though the eyes are shaped different or the cheekbones are higher or it's, there's a whole shift. And when you understand the true science, the true physics of our world, it then becomes not impossible, but even probable, because we're dealing with a whole different level of physics and physiology. We are multidimensional beings. Our DNA is multidimensional. I mean, a lot of this is coming out in bits and pieces into the above-ground science. This is what they've done for a very, very long time, below ground. So you can change attributes, but you can literally have physical shifts because the energy of, of the mind is that powerful and then combine that with an entity that is influencing that. And yes, a lot can change. And I have seen my own changes as I began deep deprogramming. There were several occasions where I had the opportunity to be standing in front of a mirror and didn't recognize myself. That is, I mean, it really blows my mind. You yeah, know? No, I feel like that's a topic in itself. Yeah, I you start going into the the genetics of humans and the background of our universe. So I I can't even imagine. Elisa, we're going to take just a quick top of the hour break. We usually play about two songs, but I really want to get back to our conversation. So I'm just going to play one quick song and then we're going to come back and then we're going to dive into your book. I think we have laid enough groundwork for people to work with now. <laughs> I think even more so to start biting into this book. And uh, for the folks at home, hang on to your socks because we're going to take off here pretty soon into the, the second book of Our Lives uh, Beyond MK Ultra by Elisa E. This is all really, really heavy stuff. Let's go with a little bit of Kaminsky and Love Fox from the Drive soundtrack. This uh, song is called Night Call because, well, it's nighttime and we have a call. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I don't know. That, that's, the, that was that's, that's the best that setup I could come up with. A little bit of humor in here as well. <laughs> don't go away, guys. West of the Rockies is coming right up with our special guest, Elisa E. Here we go. West of the Rockies with Frank. <laughs> Open, open, your, 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 my, my, my. And we are back to the second edition was the second hour. Jesus, the second edition. Can you believe this? And no, and it is the second edition. <laughs> In a way. In a way. It is the second edition this. of our interview with uh, Elisa E, correct? But this is the second hour west of the Rockies. Um, as always, I'm Frank. Or, well, yeah, I am Frank. Boy, I just. <laughs> as always, I'm still Frank. Um, so, yeah, it's just, just like and I was Frank yesterday. I'm still Genevieve UA, <laughs> and you're listening to West of the Rockies. You can find me on Twitter at Engineer Frank. Follow the show at WOTR Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, WOTR Radio, on there as well. Like us on Facebook. That's West of the Rockies on Facebook. Genevieve. Genevieve Uway on Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh, she'll be hosting No Added Flavors on this station Thursday nights, 8 p.m. And I want to send a quick shout out to the folks in the chat room and the people who are tuning in. Tattoo Jenna just tweeted us that she's listening right now. Uh, big shout out to Professor Madness. I know he's a fan of that song I just played, so underhandedly, I put that in there especially for him. And shout out to Tony Merlo, who's visiting the West Coast from uh, Detroit. My friend, if you're here looking for sunshine, you came at a bad time. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Oh. I hope you brought a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I want to thank everybody that, that's tuning in and anybody that's listening to the podcast version of this show. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast feed on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and of course, YouTube. Just hit that subscribe button and uh, enjoy some of the, the topics that, that we get into on this show. Yeah, and Elisa, where can people find you online and those that want to support or fight for this cause, what can they do out there? You know, I think the first step is what they're doing now and, you know, whatever part of that uh, stage of that process they're in is self-education, using a lot of discernment as they take in the information. Um, I do have a, a blog site. It's our life beyond mkultra.wordpress.com. And I've provided in the resources and recommended reading, there's a, um, a ton of links under different categories to uh, really break the ideas, to break people's conditioning, um, to help them move through that. And for those that are programmed, there's a lot of information there as well. Um, so I, I do recommend going there, and there's there's a lot of information um, to be had out there um, in book form and online. You just have to uh, just have to use your your develop your discernment, which is also a lot of muddying of the waters as well. Also, I'd like to just you know throw in uh, uh, are people safe to speak out on basic platforms such as Facebook and Twitter, or what would you advise the people you want to promote this cause? 
Well, um, safe, I, I think, is an illusion. Um, I think we left safety a very, very long time ago. Um, what I would say is that whatever you do online, whatever you do on your phone, um, is likely being recorded, okay? It's being digitally stored somewhere. Will that ever be used against you? Who knows? Um, I honestly can't say, but we live in an age where um, they can read your brainwaves if they decide to. Um, they can pick you out of a crowd if they want to. Um, it's, it's, that's the society we're living in. Uh, it's a technological age. We went from corporatocracy to technocracy in a really quick flashover. And now tech is, is running the world. And, uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a personal, and I'm not making light of it. I think it's a very, um, very personal journey to make that choice. Um, you know, uh, who do you want to be? Where do you want to be in this? Um, I don't look at it so much as, um, I look at quality of life. For me, that's what it is. It's never and isn't still a matter of, um, you know, am I going to be here tomorrow as much as um, what am I doing that matters? So that's really all I, I can say out there. Um, it's, a personal, it's a personal journey, very, very personal. Yeah. Journey. Um, Elisa, so, yeah. as we, um, yeah. Uh, you know, as we begin to kind of dive into, onto part two of your story uh, as you chronicle it in your book, why don't you tell people where uh, they can get your books? Uh, there, there's two of them, and I highly, highly, highly recommend people pick these up. So where can people grab a copy? Well, thank you for that. Um, well, you can, you, there is a link on my uh, blog site. Again, ourlifebeyondmkultra.wordpress.com or you can go to Amazon and order them there and they are in print on demand or um, in the e-form if you would prefer to do it that way. Um, and I just want to kind of preface with, um, there are two books, it's book one and book two, same title, that I intentionally, and I think I talk about this in one or both of them, I intentionally wrote these in early, what I call early deep deep programming. Um, I began writing and accumulating the material um, with the help of my altars and their memories and understandings, um, but still in very much in the process. And um, I went back today, I grabbed book two and just kind of, you know, took a quick glance knowing we were going to talk about it tonight. And um, I wouldn't really, there's not really a lot I would say is, is wrong or I would change. Um, it's just simply that I have a greater um, research understanding now and the progression of where my control really is today. And I might have slightly different language um, that I would use today. It seems I'm, I'm better informed and less uh, less under the veil, you know, than I was when I when I wrote them. And I can see the. Uh, I could see the uh, the uh, there was still fear and there was still um, uncertainty and and um, you know a lot of things that today I really don't feel that way way at all. I'm I'm um, 
feeling quite secure in who who I am, what I am, where I've been, and what I'm here, you know, to do at this time. On that note, to what extent are you certain, and to what, um, you know, uh, up to what period of your life were you still doubting your experiences, and will you or have you ever reached a point where you a hundred percent have reached the level of no doubt? Right, right. Well, I would, I would have to break that down per experience and certain things that I believe I understand about who and what I am and where I came from. I would have to take it piece at a time because the majority of the things in the book, I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't change, but 100% absolute, no, I can't claim that about several very important things that are written in there um, because I don't have enough of the, the memory prove how it was done or so forth. So I, I couldn't, I wouldn't claim 100% absolute on that. Um, but as far as in general where I come from um, and some specifics in book two, I'm still absolutely certain. Uh, some of the things that uh, I experienced um, in the book, it's kind of a uh, me presenting it and saying, I, I have no way to explain this. I know that it's physically impossible, you know, and so forth, but that, that one of my alters may have this ability or that ability. Uh, what I've come subsequently to find out, um, now I'm in my, um, what is it, my eighth or ninth year, ninth year, I believe, of deep, what I call deep deprogramming. After writing the books, after sharing these experiences, I'm now receiving information through several connections, friends who are researchers who are sending me information that science and technology is breaking into the above ground. They're starting to publicize some of their successes and things that are in the work that may explain how I had these unthinkable and in unnatural abilities as a human being, that there may have been a technology involved. So if that helps with explaining, whereas when I go back and look at the books, I didn't have that. I simply had, this is, this is what my alter's ability is, I believe her, and I can't explain it, and I know it sounds crazy. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Elisa, before the break, we were talking about abilities and Genevieve was asking you about being so uh, uh, fragmented that one alter could have a physical condition of some sort or a health condition. And getting into your second book, you open with this account of an alter called Esmeralda who was programmed to mm -hmm. breathe underwater. And this, this sounds unbelievable Outlander. to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> Tell... Tell the folks yeah. at home a little a little bit about that and how that could be physically possible. Sure. I let me preface with saying I, as being part of the front system, had as much trouble with that as anybody else. Um, and yet, deep within me, I didn't doubt her. Okay. Um, I 
I was reluctant to share it early on. I held back for many years, as well as some other abilities of various altars, because it sounded crazy to me, too. And yet, deep within, there was something that was resonating that somehow, some way, there's something happening here that I don't understand, but there's this is going on. In other words, what I was claiming was that when this altar under full programming took the body, that there was something happening. Now, this could have been, you know, technology that I wasn't aware of, but there were no tanks on her back. There was no oxygen tanks. Or, and there were several periods, in our, a uh, couple of them in our youth, you know, at a, at a young age, and then one as an adult, a full-grown adult in an extremely large pool in this case. Um, I believe it had to be likely an underground facility, training facility, maybe a naval facility. Uh, there's a lot of naval um, influence in my mind control programming. But an extremely large pool, very deep pool, and I was one of three individuals. We were spaced out in this pool. And I was submerging with no equipment that I could see, slowly submerging to the bottom. I was in the deep end, which went down 40, roughly 40 feet. And then I slowly start pulling in the water, as in a slow, gentle inhale. And I'm breathing oxygen. And in my younger years, this occurred in my youth, um, in a more naive, not really, you know, like a, a younger person's consciousness. But I recalled in one of those episodes that the water seemed like it was slightly thicker than um, normal water. Um, and then the, the other episode in my youth was I'm not breathing the water, but I'm submerged in a small tank. I'm indoors. And I'm looking up through the water, and there are two men leaning over the tank, and they're telling me, and I don't know how they're telling me, but I'm hearing in my head, stop holding your breath. I'm resisting taking the water in. And I don't know if that was part of um, this particular breathing water. Now, I struggled with this. Um, when I wrote the books, uh, some of the information seemed to be more spiritual, and I knew there was this entity possession with each and every altar, and the best I could come up with at that time was that perhaps, and someone actually validated this for me, um, I'm not sure if it's true, but that perhaps the entity had that capability and somehow physiologically with the possession that was transferred to me. What's really interesting to me in the last two years is that a friend of mine sent me several different articles at different times to uh, talking about current technology that's surfacing. Um, one is, and, and your listeners can look this up, it's called the Aquaman Crystal. And really a fascinating article online uh, referencing this, that this is a small crystal that draws oxygen into it, and the idea is that uh, the scientists that are developing this and researching this are saying that the idea is that at some time they're hoping that people will be able to dive underwater without oxygen tanks and breathe oxygen through the water. It so, blows my mind. Wow. 
this is actual real documented science. Okay, this is being this is being brought out in journals. You know, yeah, no, it's even I I remember seeing it in the UK even in the newspaper called the Independent. So it's definitely that's something that's been documented worldwide and even in publications that are considered fairly mainstream. fairly mainstream, trustworthy. You know, right. So my point is that the world I come from, most people in the conspiracy community generally agree that the world I come from is 50 to 100 years ahead technologically, both bioscience, um, you know, the physical sciences, the human sciences, the cognitive sciences. Let's say that that's just an exaggeration. Maybe some people don't want to go that far, although I don't think it's an exaggeration. But let's say they're, you know, 30 years ahead. Think about where we are on the surface and where they are and have been, you know, below ground. So it's no secret that back in the, I think it was the 70s, the Navy was trying to create an amphibious soldier. Now, how they were going about that, I don't know. And then you add in the genetic engineering, um, you know, that that's very real. And it's not it's not some science fiction, you know, you're creating a Frankenstein. We're talking about just shifting a chromosome and you're creating a whole different set of abilities. So it's a very fine-tuned, nanoscale, you know, um, atom-level science. Um, so when you start really understanding, you know, and looking into and discovering where things really are, what the true sciences are, the hidden science, and there is information out there that people have, you know, gone out and in some cases looked to disprove it and found that, you know, this stuff really exists on some level somewhere, but it's really hard to pull it out and dig it out. So it's just kind of, it was amazing when I saw that. Um, it really hit. And I, it's not that I have a memory of having that crystal. It's that it validates that this has been in the works for a very long time. And maybe there's some truth to this young alter who had some ability, maybe there's some minuscule technology that was involved, but that I didn't notice that had the ability to change the oxygen and water to breathing oxygen. I really don't know. That's incredible. And I do feel that people need to kind of enter this stage of the paradigm shift where what they thought was possible you know, the boundaries that they have in their minds are very small. But going to what you were saying just now regarding entity control and possession and relating it back to what I was asking earlier on about, you know, to what extent do you doubt your uh, certain beliefs? To what extent do you believe that the possessions are real per se or to what extent are they just downloads that are not physically real if that makes sense yeah um i think again it probably would have to go back to um changing the entire paradigm of what we understand as our reality uh what is reality that's a really huge question. What right. is our physical reality? What is our, um, when we lay down at night, what, what is that state that we call astral or dream state? 
what, yeah. what is happening in all these things and how do they all interact with one another. And to me, it really does go back to that because I have no doubt that evil and these malevolent entities are absolutely as real as anything else um, based on personal experience. And so, you know, we're, we're moving, we've moved moved past tense into a time where I would go so far as to say with all the pronounced and benefits and convenience of our technology, it is my devout opinion that this has been brought online at this stage of the game to allow um, more free movement of these entities into every home, into every person's sphere, through a technological um, uh, uh, venue. So in other words, you know, to me, they don't necessarily need that, but this technology has created an ionized atmosphere. It has created um, this atmosphere in our homes and our cars and everything because we have the technology with us. And... It's interesting because one of my altars when I first began deprogramming was shouting from the rooftops that these entities, quote, these entities are riding the technology into us, end quote, over and over and over for a couple of years. And I didn't even fully, I got it, but I didn't understand how that worked. And now that is what I'm seeing where our technology is at in 20 you know, 17, and and even before this with, as we talked about earlier, the Wi-Fi, the chemtrails, we now have an ionized atmosphere. We have plasma screens. When you understand that they're plasma screens, that's that's like a, an organic living, that's a living, you know, it has, it, it's different. It's not just some knock on wood type of thing. This is plasma. We have plasma in our bodies. This is a whole, whole different ballgame. And so, to me, I can't separate out, based on my experience then and now, I can't separate out the science and tech from the entities. This is a manifestation um, in a seemingly convenient and beneficial way that is giving access, extreme access, to um, to the malevolence. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, so essentially, uh, in summary technology and science as we know it enabling the spiritual and in this case the demonic spiritual realm to access our world and i i really believe that people nowadays need to realize that it's not a dichotomy between i believe in science and i believe in something spiritual it's it's something that we have to in our minds fuse together and realize that we are not just one or the other. We are right. both. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And when you take this to where it's headed, I mean, this is, we're talking about artificial intelligence. We're talking about the transhumanist movement. These are, these to me are the end game goals, um, you know, and we're there. Okay. We've already got AIs running all over. If you put in artificial intelligence, wait till you see how many 
how many links will come up to how many, not just military applications that are covert, but corporations all over the world. Uh, synthetic biology, it's huge, it's a huge industry. I mean, this is, this is where we're at. And this is not a doomsday thing, okay? I am an absolute believer in the longevity of the human spirit and the uniqueness and the benevolence of it. But what I'm promoting here is education, education, education. And I'm talking about spiritual intelligence. Use your mind, ask questions, don't accept what you're being told. Dig. And use your heart to determine what seems valid and what doesn't. If you're not sure, dump it and move on because there's plenty of information out there. But this is about the power, the genuine power that comes to... um, keep this at bay on a personal level is that education, that mind and heart education. Continuing with programming and, and reinforcing some of these things, in your book, you, in, in the second book, you mention going to Disney World Orlando in, uh, in Florida. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, we all grew up with Disney. We have fond memories with Disney, and, and I'm sure many of our listeners have created great memories at these theme parks. How does this come into play when we talk about mind control? You say that you went to this place. What would happen? How can a place that on the surface is all about happiness and and having a good time be used in this way? Gotcha. Well, for me, Disney is a whole different ballgame than most people. But while under full programming, I looked like, every, you know, our family looked like every other family running around doing everything. But what was happening for me in certain instances, not with everything um, there, but what was happening for me was there was already programming in place. And by going on certain rides and seeing certain themes over and over again, um, including the general theme of this make-believe world, right? right. Um, just constantly reinforce things that were already put in place. Um, there was a Eastern Airlines ride in Tomorrowland, and um, I would go on it just repeatedly. I would get off and run to the entrance and go on it again. And um, it was programming this, um, I don't know if you've ever been through it, but it, it had a world theme, as did um, another ride, I forget the name of it, but this world theme to prepare me and to reinforce all these different cultures and all these different um, people living within myself, and this feeling of having this, I had this flying altar. Um, I have memories, partial memories, of being programmed to believe I was flying, and what I believe now was my plasma body, we all have a plasma body, like we have an astral body, and was being pulled technologically and taken to locations, literally to facilities, um, to be programmed. And this would happen, you know, during the course of the night. So in this ride, there's this room that you're in this little car that's, you know, moving through on this track, and then you go into this big room that's like a theater. It's a 360 screen. And is the chair, the wind starts blowing, the chair tilts back, and, you know, the visuals are that you're flying. Rides like that, for me, just continued to reinforce, and I couldn't get enough. I just kept going and going and going. You know, I'd go a dozen times in a row. 
Um, and then the other one was the 20,000 leagues, which had been put in as a program, um, having, in other words, having various alters with certain names that fit the storyline. And so when I would go on it, it would reinforce. It wasn't that so much that the program was being put in at Disney World, it was reinforcing what had been put in. So we would go, you know, a couple times a year, and it was like just a, a reinforcement. My next question deals with uh, what you in your book call the ritual occult altar. And when I was reading this, and, and you know, a lot of people know I'm, I'm morbidly, I, I say this all the time, I'm morbidly fascinated with uh, the movie Eyes Wide Shut because to me it's one of those movies that I don't know if Kubrick did it on purpose or not, but as we were talking about at the beginning of the show is it's like now they just kind of parade this stuff in front of you, just blatantly, there's no subtlety in it. And one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you about when it comes to this ritual occult altar, it sounds like it's along those lines, like we see in this movie, Eyes Wide Shut, where there is some, you know, some very bizarre rituals taking place. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And, you know, we seem to be going into this this arena of the spiritual is there a satanic cult or a satanic network that is running these mind control programs is that what's going on um yes yes and no um you know satanic ritual abuse is very very real very hands-on very real uh what's behind that I often think is um, is a little more hidden than what we're what it's being presented as. Um, let me see if I can explain. And what I want to say one thing about Eyes Wide Shut. My understanding is this: Kubrick was still in the beans, and Kubrick was taken out before it was finished, or when it was finished, he was taken out. And if I'm not mistaken, Steven Spielberg stepped in and finished it. He put a different ending on it. Right. That might tell you something about some Hollywood folks. Right. Um, the situation that was presented there, I think, is very real. I don't have a memory of something so glamorous. Um, most of what I have was a smaller version um, of the smaller group, uh, different settings, um, a lot of sex, but a lot of also uh, drugging. Um, so that, and then. Uh, you know, once once the victim like myself is drugged um, to be utilized in a in a ceremony, um, there's a lot of uh, what would I like to say? It it wasn't as cognizant as it was okay. um, in Eyes Wide Shut. So that there's a lot of you know they would start using code words and phrases to uh, to change the memories of what's happening to confuse the issue. Um, and so on and so forth. Um, what I would say is that when the, when the full-on altar came out, she was, uh, not someone, that altar is not someone I've gotten very close to on a conscious level. Um, I don't care to at this point, don't feel it's necessary, but what I did get from her in deep programming is that she has knowledge that of the occult that an esoteric that I I have no idea about. Things came up that she just understood 
Um, she understood how to do certain processes and call certain uh, entities in to the room. Um, there was a phrase, uh, Mothers of Darkness, was something that she would call upon in one occasion. So there were these elements and this education and knowledge that I believe was not only programmed in, but came with the entities that controlled that altar. So in other words, what I began to discover in DP programming is there's a whole set of characteristic personalities and knowledge base and abilities that come with a lot of the entities that at least I was dealing with in my in my programming. As far as calling, you know, calling it all based on Satan, uh, I think in a way this is a it's loaded with truth. I believe there are beings that fall under that category or there may be one particular being that is called that, that we're referring to, but I think it's much, much more than that. And this would be an example of presenting part of the truth, and that gets taken all the way, whereas there's a whole piece being left out. Does that make sense? Yeah, now I follow you on that. I'm not trying to be vague, it's just kind of hard to explain it. In other words, um, I think there are other beings at work, um, some of which I would put in the category of, uh, they call them Asuras, it's A-S-U-R-A, for anybody who wants to look it up. And these um, are completely inhuman, and I believe they were some of my programmers, even though I've used other names in the book. Um, and they're purely malevolent. There's nothing, nothing of benevolence about them. Um, and I'm certain that they're involved in my programming and, and controlling at one time. And I believe they also stay very hidden and prefer to have fronts, just much like a lot of intelligence agencies do. So I think at the higher levels, a lot of the people involved and the entities involved have not been named, and they prefer it that way. Wow. Let me ask you about something else that, and you know, I'm a big fan of uh, pop culture. I keep up with a lot of movies. I keep up with a lot of, you know, the stuff that comes out because I, I believe that, as you mentioned, they're just putting this stuff out there. And if you have the, the right tools and look, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I, I think I've got a good handle on things. They show you a lot of stuff through movies. And there's one excerpt from your book that just reminded me of the movie Rosemary's Baby. And that is the part where you talk about men using women in sex rituals to bring in or to birth entities into this third dimensional realm. And that phrase in itself is it's just very powerful. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? How is this happening and, and what is the purpose of it? There are, well, there's a couple different things going on. There are actual breeding, physical breeding programs. It's big in mind control circles. Um, there are actually, actually no, personally know a woman who was used as, in, in the LDS church as a breeder. She had like 20 some children for them. So there's actually the physical breeding because they need a lot. They need a lot, not only for mind control, but, um, for sacrificing. And that is a very real practice, not just 
to the LDS hierarchy, but um, many, many groups and organizations and other religious institutions and um, people involved from government, military, intelligence, the whole bit. But then there's another side to this where there are certain altars created in um, certain mind control victims. Not, I'm not saying this happens with all of them, and I think there has to be that qualification, I believe, maybe not, maybe not, I may be wrong, but the ones that I know of that have had a similar case were also used by people that seem to have a high level of, um, you know, there would be public figures that you would know were involved, um, who have used women to um, birth forth these, these entities into as if they're being used as a, a vehicle to bring them into this realm. And I I personally don't claim to understand all that, though um, I have memory of, um, you know, doing that in, in an altar that was dedicated to uh, certain entities. Um, so, yes, I have had that happen, um, and... I'm not sure which episode I spoke of in the book, but I have um, a particular tattoo on my solar plexus, and um, I had the experience of after um, several days with someone who had access to me, um, I went to a different state to visit a friend and had the experience. I was actually out in nature and felt this pressure building and had this experience of... um, uh, I guess you could say it was it was very physical for me, but obviously I don't think if anybody walked by, I don't know that they would see it. But I felt as though the um, it was it's a circular tattoo and it ripped open. Um, that's how I was seeing it in a an altered state that it ripped open, and all of these entities were being shooting out through a, a several diameters of circular. Uh, shaft of light that was um, bringing these entities into this realm, and I understood it that at that time that it had come from um, this intercourse, actual physical intercourse with this person who was possessed, and that we were both being used as vehicles to create this. Now, whether I'm perceiving that or my alter, you know, that's exactly how it happened. That is what I understand, that there are ways to bring these entities into, through us, into this realm, and that some of the rituals are designed for that specific purpose. And these entities for these individuals that want this, who are worshipping this practice, um, they're provided with a lot of things, including um, insight and power, and the ability to go out and in this physical realm, once again, getting back to what is this physical realm and who's really kind of overseeing it, they gain the things they want. For the people at home that may be thinking that this stuff is, I don't know, too out there, it's funny because one of the uh, little-known individuals in history that I'm fascinated with is uh, Jack Parsons, who was a a famous, well, not really famous, but... uh, Infamous would be the word rocket scientist. He was engaged in a sex magic ritual to birth also a type of entity and open a gate. So this belief 
is definitely there. And you know, that this is possible, correct? Yeah. And this is this was a scientific man, a, a very smart individual. Let me right. m move on to the Babylon working. Correct. Is, uh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me move on to something that in your book, you use the word alien a few times. And you also have sought out the UFO community on occasions. My first question yeah. is, are aliens then not extraterrestrials? Are they not looking right. to be helpful to us or help us achieve something or, or evolve, if you will. That right. would be my first question. And secondly, how receptive has the UFO community been to your message? <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting area. Um, well, again, let me, let me speak from my personal experience with numerous um, beings and entities, some which fall into the category of what people call greys, reptilians, so on and so forth, um, and then many that fall outside of that, uh, many, many different forms, some humanoid, some not. So in my experience, these, even the greys that I interacted with are not coming in a ship from another star system. That's not how I understood this at all. Okay. My very clear understanding is that these are either interdimensional or intradimensional beings with a not good purpose in mind. They were directly related to my mind control accessing and programming. So for me, these are not what is being promulgated in the general ufology movement. And I want to be clear about my entering the UFO community looking for help. When I did that, it was taboo to talk about military being involved in abductions, talking about being on a military base and on a table strapped down. You didn't talk about it. Okay. Right. Then. Now it's, you know, it's common language and we've got super soldiers. Okay, so it's a whole different, but to me, it is askew, and it never gets genuinely to the root of what mind control is and who's really doing it. And for me, I had many screen memories that were, quote, alien abduction, end quote, and they weren't alien abductions. They were mind control, and there were often and almost always humans present. Now, there is the element of this multi-generational, I had a propensity, I was born to it, and already had that accessing going on generationally. So I was primed to, for example, once someone took me into a facility and began the process, I was rocking and rolling already with these entities being able to... Um, frequency-wise, exist within my energy field and or my body. That's the part that, to me, is the multi-generational and bloodline. That's what that really is all about. Um, and related to that, because the second yeah. book is, at least 50% of it is, you know, really about recovery, healing, and moving on, and it 
explains how that can be done. But you do talk about how the attacks, when you begin this healing process and this discovery deprogramming process, um, the attacks by third and even fourth dimensional handlers will and do continue, you know, even when you are getting help. Um, yeah. Tell us a little about how they try to keep you in control and maybe tell us about how these fourth dimensional beings are involved. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> uh, early deep deprogramming, in other words, when I, my front alter, alters consciously after meeting these men and getting validation, I wasn't crazy. It was like the floodgates opened. And what I mean by that is I would 24 seven, there was things running, uh, things being Literally, the word flooding, I would find out, I, I would write it in my journal that I was being flooded. That was actually a technique. Um, there are actually, when they when they set in all the programming, this is such an amazing, in the sense, malevolent amazing, but not, not respectfully amazing, but amazing at what they do. I discovered, as I began deprogramming, that the deprogramming process would also start to unfold in a very particular manner. So in other words, the idea was internally when you begin to wake up, they've set programming and alters to try to destroy it. And these, these are being run by entities. So you've got the, the external um, influence, but you've got your own internal destruction that's, that's now surfacing. It's like, uh, it's like it's on a timer almost. And when, certain things happen, which would be related to certain brain waves. Um, you know, there's an actual physiological and mind process happening. It, it is designed to kick off uh, waking somebody up or setting off a certain program. When you so become aware. Early, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a shift in your consciousness, and that shift somehow is setting off certain programs that were put in, plus you've got the entity. Um, the entity level that is an awareness, and it, it sets off. So I would get flooded with um, memories that were overwhelming, um, and I do mean overwhelming. And honestly, I, I don't know um, fully cognitively how I survived some of it. I remember it as just a slur nightmare. And yet I had someone I could call, and he just kept telling me to hang on, that it was going to change, just hang in there, hang in there. And, that, and that's really pretty much what I did. Um, and then I would have very conscious um, technological, um, you know, attempts at accessing phone calls, mail, uh, things being sent to me. Uh, the phone would ring, I'd pick it up, and a series of really rapid, high-pitched tones would go off or, I mean, just all these things, and then they would send people in. And um, I think most of those people, if not all of them that were sent in, were also under mind control. They were being sent in as potential handlers. So you had stuff going off on the inside. You had the entities. I know at night I would often, and this is very common, I've come to understand that when you see the movement out of the corner of your eye and you turn in, there's nothing there, but it keeps happening. This, for some reason in the spiritual realm, 
for those that can perceive it, that's part of how it happens. And so I would constantly at night in the early years, I mean, they were just all over the room. So it seemed like there was this concerted effort, uh uh-oh, you know, it's kind of like, uh-oh, she's waking up and we can't have this. Um, and it was, you know, to their benefit to keep me programmed. At a certain point, you start crossing these thresholds and you're not going back. And there seems to be this awareness as I became aware, for example, when I realized I'm not being abducted by aliens into a ship. This is mind control. Well, the interesting thing was there were no more alien abductions. There was no point to it anymore. Wow. The jig was up. That's incredible. So they, they ceased because they weren't really happening that way, you know. Um, so there was no point in perpetrating that or attempting to perpetrate that anymore. But the beings were still around, but they were related to this, you know, this other interdimensional or interdimensional aspect of the mind control. So I hope I answered your question. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know if I did or not. No, definitely. I'm, I'm still gripped by every word you're saying. Um, but I want to throw in something else unrelated to this, just because we're at the end of our show. Uh, for the last article that I wrote about um, the first interview, I I put a little uh, kind of triptych, a little collage together of three images. They were the main kind of poster images for uh, mind control related movies number one uh the jason bourne movies and then there was the last kiss good night and then there was hannah now on all three occasions and other movies included they use a very specific pose for the actors which is weapon in hand usually a gun or you know, some sort of shooting weapon, and they're facing right. straight at the camera. And we put these all side by side for comparison, and they were incredibly similar. We realized that every time a very similar movie like this comes out, they use a similar stance for the actor oh. in the main poster. Is there something more to this? Is this done consciously? Is this a public threat or a personal trigger for mind-controlled victims. Well, bravo to you guys for, for going there and doing that. <laughs> that that's really cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for for mind control, especially people who have, um, you know, not everybody has kill programming, but for those who do, absolutely. Um, I've I've heard others talk about, you know, going to a certain movie and being triggered and, and leaving uh, because they just couldn't handle it. And I've experienced that myself. Um, so there is a purpose to it for the mind control, you know, the I'll call it the concerted effort mind control victim. But there's also the conditioning for the other and mass population, you know, to repetition is really important both in conditioning and programming. Repetition is used. So it makes sense to me what you're saying, that they would use the same the same basic setup, um, the same... There may be more to it that I'm not even aware of, the position, but the repetition is what pops into mind for me. That's good to hear from you because it's suspect and yeah. not many people question it at all. So I'm glad and we brought the, that up. The idea that it's it's males, it's uh, it's a man, 
with the three that you mentioned, it's a man, it's a woman, and it's a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect of anybody can be of danger. You know, anybody Absolutely. can be a killer. Just mind blowing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say exactly <laughs> the same words. It's it's scary. Yeah. It, like I said, it blows my mind, and it, and it's really scary. And I hate, I hate you, Elisa. You have no idea how much I hate the fact that we're pretty much out of time. But obviously, we oh, need I to have really you. Appreciate. Yeah. Could I, I just throw in a minor question from the chat? And it was earlier on when we were asking about potentially remote viewing abilities. Uh, I believe it was Professor Madness that asked a question that I'm just going to alter it a little bit. To what extent might drugs, and I mean common drugs such as, you know, uh, cannabis and MDMA, but also LSD, etc. To what extent do they play a role and did they ever play a role with you personally? Yes, yes. Um I had alters who were uh, powerful drinkers. Um, I had alters who did drugs. I had alters who smoked cigarettes. Wow. Um, I I don't do any of those things. And honestly, this is a, a, I swear this is true. If my, like my housemates, they drink wine, and when they open a bottle, if I sniff it, I start to relax. That's how you know I can't do it, but how certain alters did and. Honestly, I'm, I'm not, this isn't a moral issue or uh, I'm not a, a prude or anything like that, but I really do discourage people from engaging in the mind-altering substances because what happens that a lot of people don't realize, which is part of why they use drugs, they did use drugs, but I can't really name them. I've tried to do some research. I think they were more pharmacological um, or prescription type drugs that they used in the programming process. But the reason I say if you just stay away from them, you don't need it. You need your full faculties to figure out what's going on around you at all times. And it's not a fear thing. It's just, you know, keep the mind clean, keep the body clean. And part of the reason is by using mind-altering or substances that, that change our consciousness, what a lot of people don't realize is that it also can open up the auric field and create holes and, and so forth. And this is how a lot of the entities attach themselves to people. Um, pretty much, they're all over the place, you know. And, I mean, there's a, a, a huge scale, you know, of, of, of variety and hierarchy and, and power and so forth. And most of them are just really parasitic that are floating around, but this is one of the ways in which um, in which they can gain entry, and I, I do believe that was part of the reason that it was drugs were used so extensively in um, in mind control experiments was it, it, it opened us up and allowed allowed these things to enter more more easily. And I hate to go over time, but related to that, does this still apply to those out there, including in remote tribal communities that use psychedelic drugs and to us they may seem crazy but that use them spiritually such as ayahuasca dmt etc well i think there's a um you know i can't speak for them obviously but my opinion on that would be that they're in in a somewhat isolated long-standing culture there's a whole different uh 
context, uh, training, uh, passed down generationally. Um, I'm not saying they aren't accessed by entities, but I think in some cases, um, we don't have that at all in the West. What we have is the New Age movement that takes you on a tour and, you know, pumps you full of a drug and you're mm-hmm. supposed to be enlightened yeah. on right. a weekend. That is not the same thing to me. That is completely different. We're talking about some cultures, and it's probably getting harder and harder to stay isolated, but, you know, had this understanding for many generations that it's been passed down. So when they open those realms, if they've been initiated properly over a lifetime, what they're going to do is know that you are now going to be facing the dark and the possible light. So what I see in the West and in mind control, but in the West in recreation is we don't have initiated people. I mean, you go to a work, at, you know, a weekend workshop and all of a sudden you're a shaman and you're going to take right. one journey. Right. You know, Absolutely. That's, that's the new age. And to me, that works for mind control. And that was part of what the new age movement, which you can do the research, you'll see the influence there and how it was actually created, that that facilitates mind control. I uh, hope that answered. No, yeah, no, was, no, 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 no. I was, yeah. was going to say that, that what you just said is, is a very, very powerful poignant. statement. Yeah, statement to me. Let me end with this, Elisa, because for the folks at home, we just scratched the surface. The, these last two hours, literally, this is one-fifth of the book, but I can't end the show just like that. I, I really, I can't let Elisa go just this suddenly. So I wanted to, to end actually, and look, I'm not promoting any particular belief system here. If any other book had said it, I would quote it. But uh, in the Bible, you know, it says that the truth will set you free. And one of the things that you say in your book was that somebody asked you what you wanted most. And with your permission, Elisa, I would like to quote you from your book, Our Lives Beyond MK Ultra, the second book, where you say, quote, our answer was safety and peace. To feel safe and peaceful in this world is a real feat, and it can only be accomplished through truth, and that includes love. To us, facing truth is an act of love of oneself and others, and is of the most powerful kind. Can you just elaborate a little bit about that? Because I find a lot of, again, powerful content in your answer to this question. Ooh, um, I think it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey. I don't think I'm ever going to arrive at that absolute. Um, I think what I meant by that and still mean by that is that by me facing truth, as fearlessly and consistently as possible. That begins with personal truth that evolves out into um, maybe a more uh, species truth. Um, but a, facing my own personal truth, no matter how painful and uncomfortable, is the greatest act of love I can do for myself and anyone else. And that is now what I'm doing and perhaps it's uh, making up for everything else that took place beforehand I don't know but it feels to me as if that's really why I'm here why I'm still alive and and so forth and that 
facing truth is the greatest act of love in that yeah. context. Yeah. yeah, and also, apart from us, a huge thank you from our listeners and chat room. This is again from Professor Madness. He says, you know, thank you for giving us a chance to ask questions and talk to you and thank you for being honest and talking to us like you did because I really feel the public appreciates it because they have never heard something like this. Most most people in the world have never heard something yeah, like this. That's true. It's true. Elisa, I, I am at a loss for words once again. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We really appreciate it. And I know last time we spoke was over a year ago, but trust me, I will not let that happen again because as I said, we only scratched the surface of the second book and so it's much loaded. More needs oh yeah, to be no, said. it's loaded with information. I urge people to get it. Why don't you tell people one more time where your uh, website is, your blog and where they can get your books? Absolutely. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to both of you. I really enjoyed coming on with you. It's a real honor. I appreciate what uh, you're doing. The honors is, is all oh, ours. Believe me. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's our life beyond mkultra.wordpress.com. And then um, it's the title of the books is Our Life Beyond MKUltra, book one and book two. And you can find them on Amazon. But I do recommend people go to the blog site because there's a ton of free information in the resources section. And uh, feel free to go in there and look around and see what appeals. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so much, so Elisa. Much. This has Thank been, you. wow, this has been a journey. Thank you. And, uh, and like I said, we, we will have you back and, and keep diving into these topics because I feel, I don't know why, I just feel like now is the time where this information needs to continue to get out there. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, we have, we're living in an age where technology it's it's advancing so quickly and it's playing a part, an active part, affecting into, every yeah. single person. And there is a sense of urgency in all this, in my opinion. So if if it's okay with you, we would love to have you back in the very near future and continue to to discuss these topics. I'd be honored. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Elisa, so much, and please enjoy the rest of your night. Good night. You as well. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was our guest, Elisa E. I don't know what to say aside no, from I, get the book. Um, Trust me, it's an investment. <laughs> as they say every single time, I almost feel weird being excited because I don't feel like you should feel positive about something so negative. Right. But I feel like we should be positive about this information going out there. I feel that's what I'm excited about, about us talking about this yeah. and acknowledging it. And I still feel weird talking to my friends, my family about these topics. But the more I talk about it, the more I talk to other people about it and get almost like Elisa, you know, get the acknowledgement from others that say, yeah, actually, I believe this too. Yeah. And the thing is that, you know, you can see this stuff happening now, you know, like she said a few years ago, a lot of this stuff was taboo, even within the French communities, like even the UFO community. Yeah. So the fact that all of this stuff all of a sudden becomes common knowledge, if you will, within these circles. But it's not common enough. That's the issue. Yeah, within these circles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, I'm going to stop there. Look, just go get the book. 
That's the that, at least that's the one best of them. advice. At least the well, first you get the one. first one, you'll want to get the second one. Trust me, and they're both excellent. They're loaded with information. And for our next interview, hopefully, folks have read that second book. And if they got questions, please send them over. We, you know, like we'll be happy to relay them. And I just want to end with uh, something that Elisa included in her book. I believe if there was ever a time <laughs> where this rings truer. This is it. Truth can handle investigation. Lies cannot. Mm -hmm. And that applies for a lot of things that are it's happening now. And I believe Elisa. I believe that what she experienced was very real. And I encourage people, pick up the books and make your own decision. Because I will not convince you. She might not convince you. You need to make up your own mind. I feel that anyone who is sensible enough will, even if you don't believe the, the details, little facts that, you know, like third, fourth dimension and crazy stuff like demons, if you don't want to believe in that, I feel like you still have to accept the fact that she experienced something and that thing is real. Yeah, I know that's very vague, but most people have to acknowledge that something was real. You don't know what it is. Was it supernatural? Was it natural? Was it in a three-dimensional world or not? Okay, that's up to you. But there is something that you cannot dismiss that is not normal and that you have to accept. What that is is up to you, but you have to accept it. Yeah, absolutely. That being said... As we're always, 20 minutes over and we have to yeah. move on. We Yeah, now we got to get off the air before we get kicked out of here and never come back. As always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter, West of the Rockies on Facebook. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at WOTR Radio. Check out the website, WOTRradio.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can find this interview, among many others, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all that good stuff. Genevieve Uway on Twitter. Find her uh, on there and also find her here Thursday nights uh, hosting No Added Flavors. Send in your song requests. Send song requests, absolutely. We're going to go out with a with a song that, man, I haven't heard this song in a minute. It's by a band called Local H. Uh, back in the 90s, man, this song was, was making the rounds. It's called Bound for the Floor. Enjoy this one, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Good night. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM, Los Angeles.